This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Welcome back to another episode of the Hockey News on the E! Podcast. I'm Jacob Stoller from the Hockey News, alongside Justin Cohn from the Fort Wayne Journal-Gazette. You've been busy these days on Twitter, hey? A lot of traction? Yeah, yeah it's been uh, it's been the kind of week that you can only get when you're covering AA minor league hockey. Yes, there's been a lot of, a lot of goings on, and I'm sure we're going to get into some of it in this episode. Yeah, and the reason I, I talked about the traction, because obviously you were, you were there, right? This was at, you were at the game? Yes. You were at the game, you saw firsthand, but what we're about to show you made the rounds uh, in, in the hockey world, uh, to say the least. Justin, do you want to tee us up before we get the video up? Yeah, so we've got uh, Fort Wayne Comets playing host to the Wheeling Nailers, and a little bit of background and why, uh, why some of this happened is there's some bad blood between these teams. They met in the playoffs last year, Wheeling upset Fort Wayne, which was trying to defend... Uh, uh, the Kelly Cup Championship. So uh, there's been some bad lo- blood between these teams for a while. Uh, it's mm-hmm. kind of intensified this year. And then uh, a couple bad plays uh, or, or or rough and tumble plays, if you will, sets off uh, the, the big goalie fracas. And uh, uh, so Ryan Fanti of the Comets ends up fighting Brad Barone of the Wheeling Nailers. And, I mean, the funny thing about when you see a goalie fight – um, you know, you, you really like people just lose their minds. I mean, the fans are losing their minds. The broadcasters, I mean, this for them is like, you know, it's like a, a cup winning uh, goal call for them. You know, they like they realize the rarity. So I'm, I sit between the two broadcasters and just to see the looks on their face is pretty funny. And you see their phones blowing up because other broadcasters are texting them like, oh, great. You guys get the goalie fight. I, I've never had one. So just so many layers. Are they making it. eye contact when they're doing calls? No, not they were not because they're actually on different tiers. But I'm telling you, as soon as the as they finished their broadcast, those two were huddling, laughing, talking about this. I'm still trying to do interviews, and they're you know they're over there having a grand time. But uh, you know, just so many elements, and like you said, I mean, it's uh, you know the video uh, of the fight has we've seen it in great britain we've seen it all over europe i'm sure it's all over canada so people get very excited when they see something like this let's let's pull the clip up while we can and plans heat management full strength here's rassel he'll unload him all the way down the length of the ice it's and this is a crazy ride. play here and that's what starts it is he gets tripped up while scoring a uh empty net goal and uh, really a dangerous play because Matt Alvaro goes head first into the board. Absolute RKO takedown there. Now I'm sitting up in the press box at this point thinking it's over. He's trying to get a Cody Hall hat trick in one shift. And then it escalated. And, the get the and this call here goal. has gotten a lot of attention. To make it 
It was Russell with the long. Oh, what is this? Fancy and Barone. Barone wants a piece of Fancy. Look at this. Barone is going out to the blue line. Are they going to go? Oh, the helmets are off. Let's do it. Goalie fight here at the Coliseum. Barone and Fancy lining each other up. Let's see what we got. Look Fancy at the left. left. Kangaroo punch. Fancy still up. Look around. Oh, he fakes the left hand. Barone. Look at that right by Fancy. Tags him again. Another right. Fancy going in with another one. Barone doesn't have a chance. Fancy takes him down. Look at the comment bench explode. Ryan Fancy. What a number on Barone. He wanted it and he got it. <laughs> They're Ryan still beaking too. Win the game, win the fight, win it all. He just won our hearts. Yeah, the, the team was just going bananas on the ice. I mean, the whole Fort Wayne roster was just losing their minds after that fight. So a, a little bit of background on who Ryan Fanti is. So he is an Edmonton Oilers prospect. He is in his first season with Fort Wayne. I think he's got a legitimate future in that organization. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about some of the things he's done. But the funny thing about this fight, is Ryan Fanti is a very soft-spoken, uh, as Coach Ben Boudreau called him after the game, like mild-mannered Ryan Fanti, like sort of the last person that you would expect to, A, fight, but B, just annihilate a guy like he did. And so I posted a poll at some point, like people were pretty excited about which is better, the left jab that that really starts off the fight or the, the right hook that ends the fight. And most of us agreed it was actually the left jab. That's what I'll remember about this fight for a while. Absolutely. So the aftermath of it, like what? tell me about the reaction in terms of league-wide, hockey-wide, Fort Wayne-wide. What was the reception? Well, you know, first off, uh, and we've talked a little bit about this on the show, you know, Fort Wayne's been very inconsistent and nobody knows what to make of this team. Are they a cup contender or, or are they a team that maybe won't even make the playoffs? And usually you have moments like this that can sort of unify a team. And I remember very clearly in 2003, one of the cup teams I, I watched, was a very similar team, and then they had a few things happen that really uh, unified them and made them believe. One of them was when the equipment manager played in the game, something that we talked about on the show. So uh, I felt like in real time, this could be a big moment for this team in bringing them all together and, you know, really unifying them. So, you know, that that's one of the things that people talked about. But in terms of the fallout, we saw no suspensions, um, really no, no fines that I know of. So there was no fallout and people seem kind of confused about that. Well, I have, I have an initial question about that. We'll get it. We'll, I know you have a lot of insight on that, but I want to ask something that just struck me when I watch it there. Why was, why were the goalies kicked from the game? Well, so I, I believe it was because it was a secondary altercation maybe in the last five minutes. So isn't that an automatic suspension? Well, it's not. <laughs> okay. So okay. I, I did talk to Joe Ernst, friend, friend of the show, senior vice president of hockey operations. Right For now. No, he's fine. He, know, he knows I'm going to talk about this because I told him I've been getting a lot of questions. And the big single question I get is why was Brad Barone not penalized for leaving the bench because right. all of this starts after a dangerous play on an empty net goal. Now my answer to fans had been, well, I think it's probably a gray area because was he just already on the ice because he's skating back to the net and then turned around, you know, 
we don't have great video of that. It's not like he just hopped off the bench and went and attacked Fancy. It didn't kind of go down like that. But it's still a fair question. So (laughs) one thing I need you to keep in mind is at the ECHL level, they do not review everything, okay? Because there is some cost and there's some time involved. And so in terms of equipment, like angles, no, no. Well, they don't review everything because the feeling is at this level, this is the real reason is if they, they don't want everybody asking for reviews of every single thing. Fair. Okay. So there are most situations you have to ask for a review. And if you ask for a review, you have to pay a fee for that review to be done. Now, it's not a great amount of money. I happen, Capitalism. I happen to know what it is. And I do believe that if they find something, you don't actually have to pay. So a lot of teams don't ask for a lot of reviews, okay? Because... How much is it? Uh, I, Thousand? I said, no, 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 no. It's... it's A hundred. It's, it's, it, unless it's changed. My, my last knowledge was it was uh, in the two figures. Okay. <laughs> okay? So... I want you to bear that in mind. Here is why there was not a suspension or anything for Brad Barone. Okay, first of all, they got what was considered a secondary altercation, okay? Mm Because the original fight was Jacob Graves behind the net. So they do not automatically review secondary altercations because those are usually just a fight after the original altercation, and there's not anything that usually comes of it other than a game misconduct. Oh, and that answers your question, by the way. They got game misconducts for the secondary altercations. So that's why the goalies were booted from the game. Right. Okay? Um, so part of this actually falls on the referees that night, which were Sam Heideman and Chad Ingalls, and we're going to get into them in a minute. They did not actually levy a penalty for leaving to the bench to Brad Barrow. So either they didn't see it or they determined he was already on the ice before he crossed the red line to go fight him. So if he had been called for leaving the bench, that would have been automatically reviewed. But because nobody called that penalty, there's no automatic review. So it would have been left for Fort Wayne to call the league and say, we want you to review whether Brad Barone left the bench. And then he may have gotten a suspension or something. But nobody asked for that review. Why? I I don't know. I haven't asked that question. They probably didn't care. I feel at this point, Brad Barone's been punished enough. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the, yeah. the the video of him losing this fight pretty handily. And, and I'm being tongue-in-cheek. Any goalie that drops the gloves and fights, hey, you, you got the cojones. That's fine by me. But uh, I think Fort Wayne just felt like, what what what's the incentive for us to ask for a review, pay a couple bucks for this, for a team that we play, I think, tw- two more times at that point. So that's the long-winded answer that a lot of people have been asking me is why did Brad Barone not get punished for leaving the bench? And and there you go. Okay. Well, there's that. So in terms of the officiating though, with regards to that situation are when when those kind of post sec, what's called post sec, secondary altercations, secondary altercations. I almost said post-secondary secondary altercations in the ECHL. Like when that stuff happens, are those, are these guys getting booed right away or is it circumstantial? Uh, I believe that you get booted right away for that. I mean, I, I guess I, I'm speaking a little bit out of my my memory right now, but mm-hmm. uh, usually if you get that, I, I believe that's an automatic game misconduct for a secondary altercation. So you would have to leave the game. 
Okay. And that's what happened here. Cause I'm looking at the box right now and you know, there was, uh, you know, I think it's about 162 penalty minutes, which is pretty high for an ECHL game in, in 2023. So. Fair, fair. Absolutely. All right. So a little bit more about Ryan Fanty though, because we don't want to make it all about, you know, just his, his fighting acumen right now. So right. I mentioned he is a legit prospect. Um, you know, he's played in 18 of the last 24 games. And bearing in mind, we play a lot of three games and three nights at the ECHL level. So 18 to 24 games, that's a, 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 a lot of workhorse action for him. Fanty played at Minnesota Duluth, uh, mentioned he's on Oilers contract. He's played 26 games in total this year. He's 11, 12, and 1. And if there's a player in the league whose numbers are deceptive, it's him. He's got a 3.51 goals against and an 891 save percentage. Normally, if I was covering a Fort Wayne goaltender with those numbers, I'd be like, whoa. But that's not the case here. The defense has not been good. They have a, a penchant for giving up goals in the first period and then rallying to win. So he's been dealing with, with a, a suspect defense for much of the year. So I find those numbers deceptive. But he's acrobatic. He's well-positioned. He's very active with the puck, maybe – a touch too much so you know where he's he's driving the puck down ice making passes um but he is really solidified fort wayne's goaltending because they've had a guy named rylan peranto who uh, got called up to the ahl and then got injured so we're not exactly sure when or if he's going to be back colton point was on an ahl deal he did not play well ended up retiring they've had i think six goaltenders at this point so if ryan fanty was not doing well Fort Wayne would really be in trouble, but he's, you know, and this is kind of considered goaltender central and he's really living up to a lot of the hype uh, with uh, past Fort Wayne goaltenders. And if you look at the Oilers organization, there's a path for him. I mean, they've got uh, Stuart Skinner and Jack Campbell locked up for a good bit and he's behind Calvin Picard and Olivier Rodrigue. But I could see fancy, you know, being an AHL guy next year. And then who knows, because he's got a lot of upside. Absolutely. Can't disagree with that. Should we get to our team of the week, Justin? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I feel like I should mention one thing, though, about the, the referees, because those referees came two nights later. Okay, this, tell me. This, this made a lot of news, too. So Sam Heideman, one of the referees, has so, sort of a spotted pass with Fort Wayne. The referee? Oh, the referee. The only time that Fort Wayne coach Ben Boudreau has been ejected. He's been ejected three times in his career. Every time it's been by Sam Heidman. There have been multiple occasions where uh, the team has said that they use quotes like he makes it too much about himself. He wants to be the center of attention. I, that's the stuff I hear from Fort Wayne uh, staff, coaches, players all the time. So he's doing the game Friday with this goalie fight. He comes back out Saturday. And I'm telling you, there were some really suspect calls. I mean, you could just crazy stuff that was being called. The, the building was losing its mind. And as this game went along, you start seeing people tossed. Boudreaux gets tossed. Four, I believe, four or five Fort Wayne players got tossed. After the game, they did not make players available. And Ben Boudreaux went off on Sam Heideman, basically said he's going to do everything in his power to make sure that he never um, calls a game at Fort Wayne again, which I don't think he has the power to do. And we don't know what's happened. So nobody was suspended. I'm sure lots of fines were doled out, but it brings up an interesting question to me, which is especially at this level, when you have, and I've seen this before, where you have a team 
that just cannot coexist with a particular referee because they feel like the uh, odds are stacked against them. What do you do about that? Because you can't set a precedent like we're never going to send this guy to your building again. Right. But, but you have a limited number of player, uh, uh, excuse me, officials at this level to choose from. You're playing three and three nights. The scheduling is tough. Certain referees stick to the Midwest. It's a really weird situation. We're seeing this a lot more, I find, in sports in general. Like even in the NBA, Fred Van Vliet recently was calling out an official and now people on Twitter are kind of going back and finding these instances. And first off, let me just say, I love the fact when there's a pattern like that, people identify it because I think it's important. But second of all, before I even get to that, I got to ask, how do people in ECHL know the name of the referee? Is it from A, my co-host Justin Cohn, or or B, has Ben Boudreaux called him up before? Like, How is this, how is there even a history there? Like, I'm curious how that's trickled down to the, the public. Well, look, I, I'm trying to remain a, as objective as I can, but there were two particular games prior to this one that he had called that the refereeing was considered to be just not strong. And they were, you know, just big moments, bad calls. You know, why are they calling this? Why are they calling that? In Sunday's game, where it really devolved was a player named Tristan Peltier was skating along the boards, gets hooked from behind and dragged down. So they call the hook, but then they also somehow called Tristan Peltier for holding the stick. Like all he was trying to do is brush the stick off his stomach but as he's falling down and he gets a hole in the stick. So that took away a power play when they were tra trailing by one goal and everything devolved. So in answer to your question, there have been moments sort of like that with particular officials. And you remember that call, that really bad call. And you remember who made it. Now, how do the fans know? They might know from me <laughs> because I'm tweeting it out there. Right. Uh, but it's not so hard these days in the ECHL to just pull up the website and see who's officiating the game. They announce it, of course, before the game. But I tell you, my father and my brother would be all over this conversation because we talk about this all the time. Referee names, when we were growing up, were on the back of the jersey. You knew every referee's name at every level. They had character. I used to go to Red Wing games. We hated it when Kerry Frazier was there. Why? Because when I was like two, he called a game where he called two penalty shots against the Red Wings. So there I am like 20 years later. I got my answer. They all know because of you. Well, no, but 20 years later, people at Joe Louis Arena still hated Kerry Frazier because of this call from 20 years before. But the only reason they knew who he was was because of the hair and because his name was on the back of the jersey. <laughs> I so I think, I think we should go back to that. I, I mean, I love it. I even said to, to Joe Ernst about uh, when we had him on about like refs talking to the media. I don't know, like, if there's a consistent trend of a guy hating a coach. Now, with that said, if you're a coach that's a whiner and you build a reputation and it's many refs treat them unfairly, you can't control that. But when it's one ref with one team or player consistently, it's a cool story. Well, and the one accusation uh, with this was that Ben Boudreaux said that the referee was using profanity toward the bench, which is an interesting question. I'm not going to say what he allegedly said, but it was, it was directed at one player. It was pretty harsh language. But it's an interesting question because we all know hockey players, hockey coaches, they're using profanity out there. Yeah. Should the referee not use profanity? Now, I used to ref at a very low level. Of course, you're supposed to be above it. You're supposed to be the person who is um, has the proper demeanor. And the other thing is he was allegedly given an unsportsmanlike for putting his foot on the bench uh, and yelling at the referee that there was too many men on the ice. 
Now, this is an interesting one, too, because they actually teach referees and don't let the the coach talk to you while standing on the bench. So when I call games, I would say, look, if you want to talk to me, come down to eye level, because otherwise you're just kind of alpha dogging me. But I've never heard of a penalty actually being called because a uh, coach was standing on the bench trying to yell at a ref across the ice. But lots of interesting things from these interactions between coaches and referees. We see them all the time. But this was a situation where it really got out of control for all parties involved. Let's get to our team of the week. We're going to go back to the Jacksonville Icemen, the New York Rangers, and Hartford Wolfpack ECHL affiliate. We've talked about them before, but you know we're now in sort of the race to the, the playoffs. And another topic we've talked about is how the South Division is a really tough one. And right now, the Icemen are, are on a quest to get first. They're four points over. They have a four-point lead over the Florida Everblades and the, and the Greenville Swamp Rabbits. Um, South Carolina will probably take the fourth spot in the division. This is the toughest division in the league, right, Justin? We're now at a point where you could probably say that. It's it's certainly close. It's either the Central or the South. But I tell you, I talked to a lot of people around the league, and they are in love with the South. And I can see why. The, the play has really improved over the last few years. It, right now, I think, is probably the, the toughest race for those top three seeds. But if, also, if you look at the Central, Toledo and Cincinnati are duking it out first place. So that's another interesting one. But – it's really interesting to see Jacksonville up there. I mean, this is Florida is the defending champions coming into this year. I assumed that Florida was going to be the team to watch, but you know, Jacksonville is checking a lot of boxes. And I think the big thing for me is the way they have evolved, you know, really a, a few years ago, Jacksonville in particular was very run and gun. They had some kind of notorious tough guys. Travis Howe is the big one that kind of stands out. And you knew that they were going to try to overpower you with physicality, out-tough you. And now they're sticking a little bit more to the game of hockey, if I could use that cliche. Uh, I'm not saying they're now, no longer tough. But if you look at the penalty minutes, you know now they're one of the uh, least penalized teams instead of one of the most penalized teams. And I feel like that has really changed a big part of the game for them. So they're 36-17-4. and four. And the other big thing, defense and goal thing. That has been a huge thing for them wins championships absolutely so you know the the big guy is parker gahagan who's uh the reigning echl goaltender of the week um he stopped all 32 shots he faced in a three to nothing victory last week over the greenville swamp rabbits then had another shutout he stopped all 24 shots he faced but jacksonville lost one to nothing in an overtime shootout to Savannah. I've covered, I believe, two of those where you lose one to nothing, and nothing, you feel so bad for the goalie on the losing side. Yeah, I hate, I mean, I don't mean to derail it, but I just, I hope they can try or experiment in the minor leagues, AHL, ECHL, whatever, the whole eliminating the shootout. Because I I hate the way it happens when you end the game with a shootout. I hate wow. it. Wow. For once, you've surprised me. I figured you would be a, a big proponent of the shootout. Why? Because I was born in 99 or something? Yes, yes. I figured somebody no, I, who doesn't know I, who Hawk and Lube is would I, love that newfangled invention called the overtime shootout. Fair. It's fair. us old codgers that hate it. Like, I'm okay with a tie. I like a tie. Bring right. back ties. I prefer a tie. Yeah, I don't mind it either. But what's even worse than the shootout is the best of three shootout. Like, if you're going to do it, can we right. at least go back to best of five? I know. So, uh, yeah, so <laughs> Parker Gahagan had one of those tough one nothing shootout losses. Those are always tough. Uh, a little bit more about him, though. 
Uh, he is 6-0-1 in his last seven games. Now, he is on an AHL deal. They do have a goalie right now who is on an NHL deal with the New York Rangers. That's Olaf Lindblom. He's a goalie that I like a lot as well. We've talked about him before, but he has been a smidge less reliable than Parker Gehagen lately uh, for the season. Gehagen, 14-6-2 with a 2.60 goals against and a 9-11 save percentage. Lindblom, by comparison, 15-7-1 with a 2.75 and an 8.95 save percentage. And one interesting thing about Jacksonville, I like it when teams do this. I think you should do this. They're carrying three goaltenders right now. Especially smart if you've got two guys on higher level contracts. So the third goalie they have is Charles Williams. Some could argue at times he's been the best of three. He's got a 914 save percentage. He is on an ECHL deal. So really like the goaltending there. That is a huge part of what the Icemen are doing and why they are in first place in that division. They are third in uh, ECHL defense with 2.75 goals against per game. And that is making up for a middle-of-the-road offense that is only scoring 3.25 goals per game. So there's a couple of players we want to touch on as well. Um, let's start with Christopher Brown, ECHL player, like on an ECHL deal. He's got 22 goals, 53 points in 57 games. Yeah, so, you know, Jacksonville does not have a lot of what I would call elite scores. You know, we just right. talked about the, the offensive numbers not being great, but he is the guy to watch. Uh, he has got 22 goals, 53 points in 57 games, a lot of ice time. He does a lot of different things. He is... Uh, um, very slithery, if you will, out there. He's tough to, to get, tough to pin against the wall. So I like that. And uh, the two other guys that I really like, and these guys are on higher level deals, are Ryan Lowen. He's on a Hartford contract. He had two goals the other night. Uh, doesn't have big numbers. Six goals, 19 points in 23 games. Not super big. I believe he's six feet tall. But what I like about him is he cuts to the open spaces really well. You see him making a lot of backdoor plays, either finishing off goals or making the pass to somebody else. And one of those guys that he makes passes to a lot is Easton Brodzinski. He's also on a Hartford deal. Great hockey name uh, with Easton in there. He's got seven goals, 17 points in 40 games. Um, he's a little bit bigger than Lowen. Uh, he will be a little bit more physical with you, but boy, is he a good playmaker. He's got a goal this year where he is slithering through three uh, defenders as he's crossing the blue line and then goes top shelf on the goalie. That is uh, really a beaut. And one other thing about Jacksonville, they uh, made a really big acquisition uh, in advance of the trade deadline. They picked up Matheson Acapelli from the Kalamazoo Wings. Uh, that was one of their best players for just future considerations. So to add a guy that could be maybe a first line, probably a second line player uh, with less than a month of the playoffs. That's a pretty big move for, for Jacksonville. So uh, they still got a, a tough road to go. Florida's playing well. Evan Fitzpatrick is five Oh and one in his last six starts for the Everblades, but uh, inside track right now for the Iceman. Let's end it off with coast to coast, Justin Cohn's news notes and quotes a long overdue. Congrats to Michael, uh, to Michael Pellick of Atlanta. Take it away, Justin. Yeah, Mike Pellick became uh, the all-time games played leader in the ECHL last month when he surpassed 860 over 14 seasons with, this is quite a lineup, Ontario, Toledo, Cincinnati, Utah, Norfolk, Redding, Greenville, Wheeling, Indy, and now the Atlanta Gladiators. Uh, he passed Sam Fatorik 
for the all times games played record. And if you're wondering, yes, Mike Pellick is the older brother to Adam Pellick and also Matthew Pellick, who has also played in the AHL. Idaho Steelheads. Idaho Steelheads, man. <laughs> We've talked about them a bunch and they just are not letting up. They have already clinched the division title. Check out this record. 45, nine and three. Oh they God. are 33 points up on the second place to play team in the division. That's the Kansas City Mavericks with 15 games left. The Jesus. Steelheads, by the way, have sold out 26 of their 28 home games. Now, you're probably going to ask at some point, does this make them the overwhelming favorite to win the cup? I would say no. There are a lot of tough teams. Are they the favorite? Maybe. But don't sleep on some of those teams coming out of the West, even in the Mountain Division. Uh, you know, Wichita is tough. Utah, I would not underrate. And I still think Allen is maybe going to sneak in there. And if Allen makes it that as a team, nobody is going to want to play because they have some of the league's best scores. And then, of course, the winner of the Mountain Division will beat whoever's coming out of the Central, which is most likely going to be the Toledo Walleye. They right now, to me, would be the favorites to win the Cup because they are just uh, plastering everybody. So Idaho, though, really impressed with what they've done this year. Wanted to mention one other thing. I came across this stat. Uh, there are, I, do you think this is impressive if I told you a player had 10 goals, 10 assists, and 100 penalty minutes in one season? Do you think that's a notable stat? Yeah. 10 goals, 10 assists, that's 100 awesome. penalty You think that's awesome? Okay. I, think, great stat. Uh, I think DJ Abasale, the, the broadcaster from Wheeling, he might have been the one that came up with this, so I should acknowledge it. But What do we, what do we call it? What do we call it? He's got a name for it, too. I think it's the the tens or something like that. I'll have to find out for next week. Yeah. I'll have to find out, but there are, I found five players that had this wheelings. Tyler Drevich is the latest to, uh, to join that list. Norfolk's Danny Caddick, Orlando's Ross Olson, Toledo's Mitchell Hurd and Trois Rivieres, Cedric Montmini. They all have 10 goals, 10 assists and a hundred penalty minutes this year. And why do I now acknowledge a couple other players before we go? Atlanta's Sanghoon Sheen, he has nine goals in his last eight games. Xavier Perrant of Adirondack, he's got seven goals in his last nine games. And Trois Rivieres, Anthony Beauregard has seven goals in his last 11 games. And I'll finish it off with Newfoundland's Pavel Gogolev. He leads the league now with four overtime goals, four overtime goals. So he doesn't like the shootout either. He wants to end it before we get to those. Nasty skilled player. All right. I think that's all we got for this week, folks. Thank you for tuning in. We'll be sure to catch you next week.